Welcome to the Nicholas Natale Show. Today on the podcast, guests John Fine and Alan Long. That's right, two for one special. I'm just going to go ahead and the episode speaks for itself, so we're going to continue on here. This week's riddle, where do snowmen dance? Tune into the outro at the end of the episode and you can figure out where so you can go dance with them. Head on over to nicholasandtally.com forward slash shop for the new Let's Get Yoke tank tops. For those of you who don't train legs or really train at all, go buy one and it'll make you look three times bigger. Leave a five-star review, become the reviewer of the week. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews and fast. Please, if you like the podcast, leave a review. As always, this episode is sponsored by Little Webby LLC at littlewebby.com. Creates the best darn custom software, websites, and mobile applications. Fill out their contact form at uh, http colon forward slash slash littlewebby.com. You go do that, say we sent you, and you get a free 30-minute consultation to build your website. As always, I'm the intern, you're the listener, this is Nick. Hello and welcome. This is the Nicholas Natale Show. I am your host, Nicholas Natale. Today we have two special guests, never done before on the pod, Alan and John. Season's greetings. Hello. Hello. We're going to start with a, a banging question for John that is on the top of my noggin. From my research, John, you have amazing posture. And it seems like it was that your whole life you've had good posture. Is how is that so? Honestly, I think I saw it on like Princess Diaries with my sisters one time, and I was like, "Oh, uh, say no more. I'll just stand like this." This seems to be the way that everyone wants to stand for everything. So mm-hmm. now I have perfect posture, and now I do that to everyone else. I'll be walking with my wife, and I'll just like poke the small of her back until she stands up straight. <laughs> that's how I do it. Perfect perfect um way to be health conscious i guess mm-hmm. i think that's that's probably the best way to say it i think, I think it's supposed to like help breathing or something mm-hmm. so like all right let's dive into it we're, we have a um i don't know what the right word is for it but we're having a discussion on race today and i'd like to hear from both of you about how maybe growing up if your family had discussions about race in in the household of like just to be aware how to respond in certain social circumstances if it was ever a topic at all. So in my household, it really, we never like sat around and had dinner and uh, talked about race. I mean, we'd sat around and had dinner together, but as far as the topic of race, it never really was discussed. I think more so, especially for like a young black male um, where I grew up. So just like a little history behind me. So here in Riverside, I grew up in an area it's known as Casablanca, the, the White House. Um, and so it's it's not known to be the best of areas. In fact, probably like not the best area in, in Riverside. And so it's a, a high police presence. Um, there's police around all the time. And it's mainly um, a high population of, of Hispanic. And then the next is probably Black. And then you'd be hard pressed to find anybody of any other race, white, Asian, or anything like that. But there, there were some. And so I learned most of it just like by friends and being out with friends and what what they knew about race. And so mostly uh, those those were my discussions. And it really wasn't a discussion. It was just something that you learned when you interacted with. This is how you respond and, um, you know, behave in certain situations. And it's more so I observed it more than an outright discussion. So Mm -hmm. it was more kind of a 
you just lived it basically and that's like the i guess the a broad answer i could give yeah kind of similar story for me uh we didn't really do uh like discussions in my house for things like it wasn't like a let's sit down and talk about race it was mostly like like alan said i experienced some of it and then um my mom might like hit me with a couple like hey don't do this when you go over to their house or hey watch out for this or hey don't mm-hmm. don't be out too late you never you never know this so it wasn't so much like let me sit down and discuss you know uh what is race and how is how is it diverse? It, it was more of like a hey, uh, just keep this in mind for yourself, you know. To the point where I didn't know that like other people of other races weren't having that discussion, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, I, I didn't realize how specific it was until later. Got it. The th- I think so. Something that inspired me to ask that question was, uh, of course, the internet is, you know, the source of all information. But it was I saw a video where it was saying how like in black families the parents are having to tell their children how to interact with the law enforcement all the time um so that's where i guess my discussion part was coming from and i'm curious on like more of the experience side of what you guys are talking about so like which experiences growing up were the most telling or learning for you i i didn't I get, I get. I never really realized this stuff until like way too late, like mm. out, like college, uh, really, when I started to like actually think about it. But like, I, I did have a like a run-in with the police when I was a kid. There was someone apparently throwing rocks off an overpass, and wow. yeah, it, they said it was like some young-looking person, and I just happened to be like standing in front of my neighborhood at that point. I was outside. And like the cops, the cop comes and like stops for me and, and starts like talking to me, and he tells me what's going on. And I was like, oh, but I remember he told me the description for the kid, um, and I wasn't wearing like any of it. Like I was, he was like, oh, it's a kid wearing a blue striped shirt, and I'm wearing a solid colored like orange shirt, and it's just like definitely not me at all. But like he he happens to just stay there for a while and keeps like pestering me with, you know, you know how dangerous it is to throw rocks up. I'm like, I'm aware. I, that's why I would never do this. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, you're correct. I agree. But, like, yeah, that was, like, the like one of the first times I, I remember of, like, being, of interacting with police in a way where, like, I, I didn't realize it then, but I was uncomfortable with the guy mm-hmm. talking to me, even though back then I had, like, no problem with police. Um, but I still was just really uncomfortable because, you know, you had two police guys just, like, phalanxing me in my neighborhood you know where, where do you live i live right here what's your address it's this you sure you live there yes i live here you know like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah for uh for me it was more like like we were saying before it's kind of like you lived it and it really wasn't like an outright conversation but through little things or little things here little things there that are said as far as and it, it was very clear like black people white people is always a, a conversation of black people and white people and so you the comments that were made usually were not because there's any white person that is coming to our house or any white person that we know it's like you see some kind of thing on tv and it's excuses all that that's how white people are or you know and it's never an outright like not because we necessarily know a white person because i didn't really see many white people unless i went to school but when i went home it's black and brown and that was it and so it's usually in a form of like some kind of subtle joke. It's kind of like matter of factly like, well, you know, you know, that's white people that, you know, they have money there. It's, and it's always um, 
the issue of that's just the way it is and th- and there's no there's no reason to to question it there's no reason to um you know even see it as problematic it's just that that's the way it's always been and so white people live on this side of town and black people live on this part this side of town and you know black people know how to dance because we just know how to dance and white people they just don't know how to dance and and <laughs> and, it's, and it sounds funny but like as a kid you learn it and then it's just like yeah. that's just it is and then so you get older and then it's just like well that's the way it is and that's you know and i'm sure we'll get more into that discussion later but those are some of the negative as a kid it's innocent it's just something that you learn but as an adult yeah. when you have a chance to reflect you're like that was kind of like sick <laughs> it's bad <laughs> <laughs> and i don't mean sick in a good way i mean sick as yeah <laughs> let's do it let's take it there then how do we post i mean we'll we'll flip back and forth how do we post childhood of taking in a specific narrative when and how are we going to decipher those and break those down at what point were you like maybe i should maybe i should like question some of these things because i i agree with the sentiment that like i've almost found that adulthood is basically processing your childhood that's like almost all i've really experienced adulthood to be like why am i why am i this way why am i believing these things um so with your experience with this like white people are this way black people are this way how did you start taking the narrative and ciphering through it man that's such a good question um and although like I, l- I listen to a lot of hip hop, so get ready for like hip hop, you know. I'm, oh yeah, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so there's a rapper. His name's uh, his name's Brother Ali. He's and he has a unique story. He's actually white and he's almost blind and he's a Muslim. Um, so wow. I'll, I'll put that out there. <laughs> and he and I think his wife is black. So there, there's a lot going on in his life. But and one of and one of the songs that he he raps and I'll throw this, I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but definitely a song that everybody should listen to. But especially if you're white listening to this, um, it's a song called before they called you white. And so he, he breaks down the, this idea of what whiteness is and how people attach themselves to whiteness. But in the song, he talks about an eye um, can't see itself or an eye can, so someone can't critique themselves or know they're in the wrong until they have somebody there to challenge them and that's that's the hard part because most people won't be able to do that unless they have someone come and challenge their beliefs and i think that's the reason you know we we're seeing a little bit of a change right now is even if it's like a joke like oh you know john you must love fried chicken and you know it's funny (laughs) but but like and, and i won't bring up anybody's name so when i speak to people in my personal life i'll just say i just know someone or someone in my family but I work with someone who brought that to my attention. It's just like, no, if somebody's making a joke like that, whether they're your friend or not, like let's let's get it established that, you know, not all black people like fried chicken because some people may internalize that and be like, well, all black people must love fried chicken. And it sounds crazy, but especially kids, they hear these things. Bring them back, Alan, <laughs> don't do it to us. I guess I'll go until he comes back. Um... And then he, I, he can just cut me off. He can finish his thought. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But like the question is basically like, you know, when did you start discovering that you were of a race, you know, and, and kind of recontextualizing past experiences is 
Is that basically yeah. what you were asking? Um, yeah. A lot of it was through conversation with my sister, Yvonne, because um, she started this uh, process a lot earlier than I did. Uh, well, she's older, but also, like, she started it earlier than I did. And, um, like, it was just kind of like she had a lot of, like, at the time, it seemed aggressive conversations with me about, you know, who I was, who I'm hanging out with, what I'm saying, what I'm, what I'm accepting. And um, it was it was really blunt. And for a while, I was kind of running from it until I kind of just took the time to, she, you know, I asked for some articles. She sent some articles, and I just kind of began reading. Um, and it wasn't like a, I read one article, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, they're right. It, it was just more of a, con- a consistent, like, I read something in an article and then like somehow it applies directly to my life and or or I read like a, a passage from a book and it's like somehow that applies directly to my life and it kind of just creates this domino effect of like well what else happened to me oh this happened to that person too like I'm reading a book right now by a woman named Austin and she's kind of like you know giving an account of her life and as she's describing her upbringing um, I'm like oh shoot, I did the exact same thing you know, and that kind of creates this amount of reflection in me where I'm like, okay, well, dang, if I, if I relate this much to what they're talking about, you know, let's, let's one, see what else they're talking about. And two, how much more could I relate with, you know, and as, as, and as it continues to be this almost universal experience, it creates this amount of like legitimacy in my brain and it lends itself to like, you know, further exploration. Alan was just here. I saw him. <laughs> Alan is popping in and out. <laughs> He'll make it back in. Um, that's fascinating. What age do you think that was at, and how did it change the way you acted moving forward? Uh, I was, I was like entering college. Moving, I, I think. I mean, so obviously, again, I'm, I'm, you know, entering college now or, or mid college around there, and it didn't do too much in the day to day as in like, I had, I already had my mannerisms and everything. Um, it, all, mo- most of what it changed was how much, uh, for an example, was like how much I actively looked for, you know, like a black creator of whatever I'm looking for, you know what I mean? Mm. Or seeking out company in the form of black people. Cause you know, I, I grew up in mostly white spaces. It was kind of like, the norm for me was, oh, where I'm somewhere I'm going is going to have a lot of white people. So it's like, I almost looked for that at that point where after I kind of started figuring that stuff out, I was like, no, I got to make sure I reinvest myself. Um, not like, you know, exclusively out of white spaces and into black spaces, but like make more of an effort to enter uh, black spaces or just to understand more, you know? So like around college is when I started, you know, um, looking at like if I'm reading a comic, I look up, you know, black comic book artists or, or, or comic book writers. And if I'm looking up, you know, photos, I, I look for like black photographers and stuff like that, you know. So your experience would be more so you're trying to connect with the black community because you right. grew up without as much of it. When you were reading those articles, were you being informed in a way of like okay this is these are the things i have to change or were there, was there any anger what what articles are we referring to what type of education in this right yeah that that's a good question because like it really was i was really combative at the start of it because it all sounded like i was wrong all the time like oh you should be doing this or the way you're living life it's wrong 
um, or what you're thinking about this, it's wrong. It all sounds like really, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it sounds like it's blaming me for a lot of stuff and it's holding me accountable for things that I thought I was like outside of my control. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how it would seem because it's, it's really uncomfortable and it's really different. Uh, it's a much different concept because the norm, again, like for my life was, you know, being in these spaces and people in those spaces seemed to be nice to me and, and accept me and everything. And I, I think uh, the fair majority definitely were, but I did still have a lot of understanding to do as far as uh, like black people. So for example, I didn't realize, um, like, okay, I'll give you an example of like, I'm watching, I'm reading a review of Wonder Woman and you know, it's by a, a black movie reviewer and they're kind of like criticizing the movie for how it portrayed black people uh, at the beginning of it, you know, um, not even heavily, but again, I, re I read that and I go like, oh, what are you complaining about now? You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, come on. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman was great. I, oh, nothing's wrong with it. And it was, but I was reading it to my sister, you know, to kind of do like a see, this person's wrong, you know? And, and she's like explaining it to me like, no, you're, what you're not getting is, you know, X, Y, and Z aspects of, of this article. And it was <laughs> moments like that where I had to kind of like move beyond the initial jarring effects of hearing that what I thought was wrong and, and kind of continue looking into it. Like no one's, there is the surface level of like, yeah, this seems like aggressive language, but then there is what's underneath it, which is everything that's led up to that aggressive language and everything that it actually means, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I had to learn to not like run away at the sight of critique that sounds mean uh, and kind of like dive deeper. Cause in reality, the, the person was in a way sticking up for black people, including me uh, by taking wonder woman to task about something, you know? So it's almost like um, always seeing that there is a dog in the fight in regards to like representation. Does that look yeah. good? Would that be the main? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was mostly about how, even for me, someone who would technically be um, a far, far more inside the topic than you know a, a white reader of, of the article, it's still important that I don't allow status quo to keep me mm -hmm. from learning about it as well. You know what I mean? Because um, I, because my immediate reaction again was to get defensive and get hurt versus like just sit let them say their thing and then kind of try and understand what they're trying to say and where they're coming from got it okay that now now it's all hit me okay and that seems like almost the response we should give for most things now, really in in especially in this this entire debate our nation seems to be going through is like right. instead of taking the approach of like Ugh, the divisiveness of like whatever this person says is wrong and whatever I'm saying is probably right. And my example yeah. of this that I've been contemplating a little bit is I've been seeing social media posts that say like before I even start, you can go ahead and unfollow me if you think blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and my, my thought is like the people that are going to unfollow you or block you or whatever you're saying, those are probably the people that need to be part of the discussion, right? Like that need to mm. be in the know of the understanding. Don't push them out. <laughs> don't don't push them away. They probably need to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Sorry, I broke out. I, I don't, what was the question? I think, I think this question is like, um, 
is is basically like what do we think about like current landscape as far as um how there's there's ways to approach people who just might be on different wavelengths about something is that is that kind of what you're, mm. you're getting at pretty much yeah as far, okay so i i say this to everyone like um that i talk this about like it's it's or talk about this too whatever um i'm like fairly new to this entire topic you know so i just happen to have a lot more patience um than others who are you know veterans of this the discussion who have been saying this for years or, or decades or however long so like yeah to me like i have plenty of time and, and plenty of patience to to sit with anyone who asks me a question or who misunderstands me or un- misunderstands the movement um and while I, I would prefer if everyone was able to to sit down, th- there is a point though with people where, uh, you know, some some questions you just can't keep answering. And so it's like when someone there, there's people that I feel have gotten to the point, and I can kind of defend it where where it's like they're just tired of having to talk about it. You know what I mean? So, so that kind of person would post something that says like, "Oh, if you're gonna, if you still don't believe Black Lives Matter, don't follow me." You know what I mean? Like, that dismissal it isn't so much like I don't want to teach you. It's I've been trying. You don't want to listen. It is what it is. You know what I mean? Mm, almost and, like acceptance. Right, and it's not perfect. You know what I mean? But it is kind of like the reality of the situation where it's like you know, there's there's at some point it's just someone has to be done and it's not even like they're leaving them out in the cold. There, there is no drought of information yeah. in, in this topic, nor is there like a lack of accessibility. It's like, if, if it's not going to come from that person, but it's, you know, a cursory Google search will get you the information that you need. <laughs> my, my biggest fear is that those type of people, they won't, they mm-hmm. won't do the Google search. And that person might be no. the only person in their life that like they right. have any sort of connection to with this thing, but that makes a lot of sense. And I, did not even consider that they could be at a point of just accepting it. Like the amount of frustration in those posts are probably well beyond of what I'm even aware of. So let's dive into the black lives matter movement in general. I kind, I think I would like to define what it is at the start of it. So if either of you want to define what the black lives matter movement is, and then we can go from there. Black lives matter. I mean, I, I want to say, as far as like Black Lives Matter, the movement and Black Lives Matter, like as an organization, because I think a lot of people will take the two entities and um, and as they should. I mean, if you say Black Lives Matter, I could see how someone says you support, you know, everything that they stand by. But the movement as a whole, if I had to define it, would just be um, a progressive movement to try to get our country to look at how we look at race and interact with one another and try to reconcile that that's like a big word right now reconcile the past trauma that has been you know that has happened due to slavery due to um jim crow laws due to redlining so the past trauma that our country has gone through and just to look at those things and um, look at our current laws and look at our current ways that we do things um, and try to make it better in a broad sense. If I don't know if that's like a good answer. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be just black lives, but that's what we're focused on right now is black lives. But I mean, our country has a long way to go, you know, to make it great 
um, to make it what it, what it was founded on. And no country is perfect. I believe we live in like the greatest country, you know, in the world right now. But there's definitely some things, some flaws. Um, and why not while we're here, try to make it better? Yeah. Heck yeah. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, John. No, yeah, I, no, I don't. I don't have anything to add to that. But it, that I do like that point of like, yes, it's a movement focused on Black people, but the concepts that it's uh, promoting would be beneficial for everyone. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not it's nothing new. I mean, it's new to us, but our 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 fathers and mothers and grandmothers have seen it, and you know the civil rights movement, the poor people's movement, it's, it's taken different forms. And that's one thing that's scary is people are, are behaving as if it's new. And John, you and I talked about that before, like go read a history book and see there there's moments in, in our, in our history where things, these things have popped up and people are, you know, acting as if people have never protested, protested. People have never like looked out for the rights of other people. (laughs) Exactly. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, yeah, that's really interesting just because, you know, yeah, the protest pops up and I almost like set a clock by, I was like, yeah, someone's going to throw a rock at some point. We know this, you know what I mean? Like someone's going to throw a bottle, um, but that shouldn't be the surprise. So like, I was like, but it's going to happen. And what's going to happen is the second someone throws a rock or shatters a window, that's going to be the news. Um, and, and that'll, mm. that kind of happened exactly almost, but yeah. No, I, I agree with everything Alan said. Literally, yeah. exactly. That's exactly how it happened. <laughs> um, let's touch on that then, too. What would you say then? So let's say somebody who has only been consuming the news and seeing, oh, my gosh, people are looting and somebody threw a rock and all, all of those things. What would you say to somebody that says, I, w- I don't want to say is trying to, like, undermine what the protests are doing but just they're hyper focused about these 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 looting events Mm. yeah so i do i I mean even before george floyd before ahmaud arbery i was always that that person at a dinner what about our president what about and i'll always bring up slavery here we go (laughs) this black guy talking about slavery again and so like for right right now i'm loving it i i I jump at the chance to go meet with people because i love talking about this stuff and so one thing that i would say and that i have been saying to people that are hyper focused on the what and what i mean by what i'll define the what the looting the protests the 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 tense relations between people the facebook posts people are i even heard a story someone in our church two people in our church brothers in christ arguing over facebook so focused (laughs) so focused so focused on the what let's let's look past the what of you know these things and i know it's a bad thing to protest the looting well i don't want to say the protests are bad but the looting um i don't agree with um but this is more of the what and let's start taking a look at the why and so when we look at the why i think more progress will will be made because if we're so focused on material things and and I don't want to uh, make light of people's businesses that are being burned down, people's, you know, in some cases, homes and things being stolen. Um, but in the grand scheme, the macro version of this, like I pray to God that all of that was insured, but that's for another conversation. 
um, when we look at why why people feel like they have to go out into the streets and you know throw things at cops and hold up a sign to be heard why somebody feels like they have to go and break into a store and steal something to be heard or if they feel like they need those things to survive um, I think that's what we need to be focused on. And in America, we're always focused on the what. And that's what we're built on, on the what. We're built on the, the bottom line. How do we make a profit? So I don't blame people for being focused on that, but I just want people to understand, like, let's look at the bigger picture and the why. Let's, and I, and I always say, like, it, it seems like we are good at, you know, treating bullet hole wounds with band-aids and i heard that and i i still that i heard it from someone makes me sound super enlightened like, <laughs> that's what we're good that's what, that's what we're good at in america it's just like you know throw a band-aid on it and then keep it moving pull, pull yourself up by the bootstraps you're tough mm -hmm. let's get through it and 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 do well but i don't think we're good at like relationships i don't think we're, we're that good at relationships here in america and that's and, I, and that's me too I'm, i don't want to speak from a soapbox because I, i'm thrown in that too but um, I recognize that and I, you know, I want to work on that. So more focus on the why, and I don't have the, you know, all answers as to why, but yeah, the, what, the, what can be, can be replaced and fixed, but the why, uh, that's, that's where we start getting into some tweets, real healing. <laughs> some tweets. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's obviously very true. I think another component of it is, it's a lot easier to dismiss something if it seems evil, if it, if it seems wrong. So, yeah. you know, you, you have all the protests, you have a, a ton of peaceful protests still going on right now. Um, you know, and, and instead, like, again, I've had these conversations too, where it's like, people just want to say, yeah, protests are fine, but these riots though, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I feel like it's a, it's a really, a really useful way. And that's why I said before, I'm like, wait till someone throws a rock, right? Someone's going to throw a rock and we're going to talk about just the protest. Is because it's a really useful and easy way to, to sidestep the point of the conversation. You know, it's like someone who argues on how you said, like how you said something versus what you're saying. It's like, oh, you shouldn't have swore at me. I'm like, yeah, but you, you know, you did this thing to me. You know, that's the point yeah. of what we're talking about. Um, so it's like, I always, I always saw, saw it as like, a really effective tool to ignore the main idea, you know, kind of like what Alan was saying, you know, skipping the the why mm. for the what. Because, um, like, again, not to, again, yeah, very much not trying to trivialize, you know, people's lost businesses, but um, you, you just think about the scale of all of this, you know, the scale of what's going on, and, and like, there's no, like, it's, it's interesting that we can, we, we can like focus on, you know, writing and everything. And that seems to be eclipsing a conversation that every state in the country is trying to have. Like, it's not like there's a secret to the protest. Like it, these people just want something. And instead of like talking about that, it's, they check this out over here, this thing's on fire. And it's like, sure. That's, yeah. Mm. But there's like something to talk about, you know? Um, we can definitely, there's conversations to be had about writing and, and, and looting and everything. Um, but that's kind of not the point. And it, it gets like lumped in a lot, you know, it's like these, you know, these guys want something, but they don't know how to ask for it. And it's like, 
that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> At all. You know, you're just a component of it that's easier to argue against. Yeah, that's that's perfectly stated. They don't they don't know how to ask for it. Are you even listening to the question though? Like, are you trying to answer the question that's being asked here? Um, yeah. So with with the looting and the protests, I wanna I wanna know what does success look like for these protests? Like, at the end of all of this, how can we say? We got what we wanted. We're at the end goal. This success, this success metric is hit. Is it? They'll, they'll leave it there. Um, Ooh, that's a I good think, question. Well, I think that I think the protests will end before, like, you know, someone drapes a mission accomplished banner. Um, and only, and the only reason for that is because I think the goal right now. Um, there's a few concrete things that people want, obviously, but but I think this isn't gonna be solved anytime soon. I think right now what people want is progressive action uh, over time, whatever amount of time that is, but like actual like actionables in sequence. Um, so like for example, uh, first people wanted uh, you know the cop that killed. Um, George Floyd uh, to be arrested, right? But, you know, technically, yeah, good job, that's done. But that's not what all people want. They also want a conviction. And that opened up an entire conversation about policing in general. So now people want, um, you know, uh, uh, changes to how America is policed uh, at all. And that's not so much people just, like, finding new things to be upset about. It's just, like, people are like, okay, well, if you're, if you're listening... Uh, this is actually all the stuff. Yeah, this is actually all the stuff that we're trying to get done. Um, so I think it's just kind of gonna snowball, and, and again, not in like a petulant, you know, people just want to complain to complain way. But I think there's a lot of stuff people have been asking for for a long time, and it's like, well, this ain't done till we get this and this and this done. We'll take this for now. Well, you know, um, we'll take the arrests for now, but this is actually what we need. You know. Mm. That. Uh... Yeah, I have a, a lot to say about that. So there, I feel like that's a that's a good question and it's a dangerous question. And I don't say it's a dangerous question because I don't want to answer it, but it almost implies as if like there's an end to it. And so the, the reason why I say that is because the, the level of racism and the system of, of racism that has been in place in our country is so that um, I don't think it's ever going to be finished because I think people are hopeful and we should be like a, a light at the end of the tunnel where we're all frolicking like a Neapolitan, you know, ice cream <laughs> and everyone's mixing. But to be honest, and I don't want to sound like cruel, I don't think that's ever going to happen in our country and then that's okay. And I don't think any, I don't think everybody's okay with that yet. Knowing that we're probably not going to get to that point, but it shouldn't stop us from working to that point. So one of the things that I think we can measure like some success from these protests is, um, and we've seen it even locally, like near here, LA, like I think it was $125 million from the police budget that was redirected to communities of color there. Now, a lot of people might say, you know, that that's nothing, but it's something and it's a start. Um, so things like that, like where, where money is being directly funneled into programs that, um, 
that help racial reconciliation. Um, one thing for me being a fifth grade teacher is education reform. And so I don't know if you guys have seen, you know, I teach fifth grade. So looking at a, a fifth grade history textbook, um, the issue of slavery, the issue of race is hardly touched on, if, if, if at all. It's very, it's glossed over. And so trying to get it into the textbooks, and I know that the district where I work, there have been things in place where, you know, it's a requirement, African-American studies, you have to take like a certain number of units in it. And I think that's great. So like education reform, uh, police reform, um, and things like that. But I think as far as like relationship buildings, I always go back to that, um, how we can, you know, hire more counselors, how we can hire more community builders. And I think, um, you know, I don't want to sound like this cynic or this person that makes America seem like bad because it's, it's great, but um, just focus on relationship buildings and getting back to that because I think um, when we start losing our sense of like family, that's when a lot of these issues arise. Um, but those are like two things that I, two or three things I can think of as like measuring success. And I was going to make a joke about like reparations. But I, I, I legit think we need reparations. Uh, 40 acres in a meter. Let's go. That's my <laughs> Um But yeah, that, I mean, I feel like this conversation could go on for a long time, but I, I firmly believe in reparations and how, but how that would get, you know, doled out to people. That's where, it, it, it's hard, but yeah. some kind of reparations, um, whether it's a monetary or whether that's whether that looks like, you know, access to college or, you know, things like that. But yeah. Yeah. Family for sure. <laughs> all of it. I, everything you said. Yeah. I'm trying to take it all in. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, family, I think is a great point too, because I think that's where it starts most of the time. Like most of our issues stemming from how we're taught and raised on B in in kind of what we were saying earlier like these specific narratives this is how this is but it's really misinformation starting from when we're all children um, so yeah 100% agree with that I want to touch on the police side of things because we mentioned police reform mm. Ugh. <laughs> what does police reform look like realistically mm, realistic so because i know that that's a that's a hot button issue right now um as far as prison or not prison reform prison reform yes but police reform and defund the police that's like the big thing that is very divisive right now um so I can only speak for me. I don't I don't want to speak for like for anybody else. But when I when I see that defund the police, this is what I see. And I, and I, I know that's where the discord comes and people are getting in fights over. When I see defund the police, I see taking some of the budget that the police have and redirecting it, whether that's to another you know organization, be education, be medical, be whatever it be. Um, or if not, because I think we need to open it to a discussion and not just say, these are our demands. Cause I think that's when it's going to like rub people the wrong way. And it's, you're not going to get a seat at the table. Um, and just taking some of that budget and maybe 
asking the community because we look at Minnesota and Minnesota like came out and they said they were going to just scrap their whole police, their police force. And I think that's when people were like, what? <laughs> and it's crazy, but it's like as a, as a teacher and I, and I tell my kids right off the, like from the first day, I'm not going to treat you guys equally. And I can't treat you guys equally because there's, everyone has different needs and there's a difference between equality and a difference between equity. And that's for another discussion. But uh, Minnesota is, if that's what the community felt like they needed because they've been suffering, you know, maybe that that's a route that they're going to go. But I hope like another city, like let's say for example, Riverside sees that and like, we need to scrap our police too. But it's just like, well, is, is the situation as bad? You know, and and that's the hard thing because we're America's so big, the United States is so big, but I believe that we still need a police force because you know if I'm in trouble, I'm gonna call the police. But as far as like, I don't know, we see in LA there there's pictures of police police cars and they have legit. I saw this. They have Lamborghinis. They have all these things, and I'm like, what's the justification behind is that, that? Real? You know, I don't know if it's real, but. Um, it looked real. <laughs> um, so maybe I, I, sh- I shouldn't bring that up. But like, I don't know. I, I see our police force here in Riverside, like brand new cars. And, and I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I think they need those. But sometimes I'm just like, uh, did you really need that? And, you, you know, people can argue both sides of that. Yeah. But just take some of the money and pump it to and pump it straight into the community. Because I think our, our laws are being what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's not, it, it, they are policing us, but I don't know if that's like every community needs policing it. And sometimes we need like police, what's the word, like community builders instead of policing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry, that's kind of like an, a roundabout answer, but taking some of the money and just putting it other places because I know here in California we're at we're asking the government for money to help us with with the CARES Act and all that or you know there's a threat of teachers losing jobs or you know funding being cut and that's that's I I would love you know hey we got some extra money that we don't really use and let's give it to you but right you know yeah I would I would kind of I would I, no, not even kind of. I would pro- I would agree with what Alan's saying because yeah, there are like there's a spectrum to it where it's like defund to like abolish police to get rid of them, uh, Minnesota style. I'm like there's no more police around, um, and I I'm not really on on the abolish side at the moment because um, again yeah to me it's it's an inter- it's an odd concept to like say let's just not have police around, um, but there is there is validity in in defunding and redistributing not just budget but you know uh, powers to, to different aspects of of care so for example like you know i was reading some, something someone was talking about how um as a npr code switch uh, instagram page was saying you know people keep wanting to treat police like social workers but they're really mm. not equipped to do these things you know and so there's a ton of you know different types uh, and occurrences of violent crime in this country that when you look at it don't really require police presence you know what i mean like yeah. the, that can be easily diffused by a social worker you know what i mean <clears throat> like there's cases where you know you'll see like a video there's a video like a few years ago of this guy sitting next to 
uh, one of his patients and you know uh, he had some sort of like mental issue going on and they were both sitting on the sidewalk and it was a tense situation they were like kind of like surrounded by cops and the social worker this big black guy is like there his, his arms are up and he's he's talking not just the guy next to him but also the cops down and the guy next to him is like chilling yeah the guy's chilling and everyone's like calm except for the cops and if you see that kind of scene and you're like technically that's under the purview of policing the way it's set up right now but in reality the person maintaining that whole situation was the social worker you know what i mean he actually en- ended up getting shot on accident by like oh. one of the cops oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the point in the video it's like he literally he was just taking care of the guy who used to, who was freaking out and then wow, he gets no. shot with his, with his hands up and then the cop was like sorry <laughs> he got, like, <laughs> out. i don't know what's going but like it's well, now that's yeah. your point. What you're talking about, John? You know, that's what they're there. That's what they're right. trained to like, do. They don't. There's people whose entire careers are designed for de-escalation in a way that police just don't have the training for. You know, they might like get a few weeks on it or something. I don't know how police uh, training works, but there's people who like I. There's people who have, go to like eight, uh, six years of college. You know what I mean? Of, of higher education, entirely focused on um dealing with with different types of people you know and those like if if it's a call about someone who's kind of having a mental break in a a non-lethal way i don't see why it it couldn't be a social worker that arrives to the scene with an ambulance you know i mean you know Mm -hmm. like a variation of that where it's like yeah they can still bring like a police officer with them but the person leading the scene should be a social worker you know what i mean and I see that as entirely beneficial. So, it, yeah, like you have these cases where, you know, noise complaint, call a cop. It's like, well, did you, like, what's the police going to do, shoot the noise? You know what I mean? Like, it's not, or a rough <laughs> noise. There's no, like, you start to think about it, you break it down, you go, like, there are plenty of nonviolent crimes that don't necessarily need police presence in that moment, you know? And I yeah. think that's kind of at, at the crux of it, where it's like, yeah, so maybe there doesn't need to be as many police around as there are. You know, we can definitely redistribute yeah. that to other facets of a society that have direct training for those situations. For sure. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic idea. At the very least, if they if they can't quickly take a step towards something like that, the training for police officers should be. I mean, as you stated, like I I really don't know what goes on in their academies, but I would imagine de-escalation um, should probably begin to be at the forefront of all of these interactions you know mm-hmm. right because i mean and what better way education yeah. <laughs> because i mean that's really because there is just that like there is just that conflict all the time where it's their job is to kind of neutralize the threat a yeah threat. like you got to neutralize the threat so it's like Sure. So what? So what they might see in a moment is a threat, and that that needs to be like cuffed or something, or or taken to the ground, or you know, um, reasoned with until you can arrest it. But like, again, some of these crimes, um, like say someone's drunk in public, public public intoxication. It's like cool. Do we need to like fill prison space with this person, or can we send them home? You know what I mean? Can we like escort them home, slap them with a, a fine or a ticket or something? You know. So there's, there's, there's some sort of yeah. consequence, but like, like, do we do we need um, like full police presence at all times for everything? 
And I think that's a good point, like bringing the community into these conversations, because I I don't know, looking at police reform, maybe the people that you're policing have a say in what they what they need and what they want. Right. And I think that's the education. There's a big push for that. What what does that particular community that you're teaching need instead of just assuming this is what they need and then give and it's a one one pill serves all but it's just like no every community is different so let's bring those people in the community and and see what they need instead of just assuming yeah yeah i've tr- i've been trying very hard to take the word ass- i assume or I, my assumption is out of m- most conversations like i'm i'm trying to be more uh objective just more, yeah just kind of just more let me figure this out if this is true before i just start throwing things around yeah you know? yeah um, yeah, for the record, I don't know if those Lamborghinis are true. I apologize. <laughs> I just Thank saw that and got angry and was like, they got Lamborghinis. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I need to see. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. They got Lambos right, let's, and Tesla. <laughs> let's take let's take the uh let's take this toward Christians in general. What who hmm. gosh what's their role what is the christian's role in all this what should what should a christian be considering during all of this if that makes any sense i think there's an amount of like active involvement that you have to have as a christian for situations like these um and that might not look the same. Like it doesn't mean like everyone's going to be at the protest, but like, I think, um, Christians, modern, no, no, actually not modern Christians, Christians generally, there's a danger to it in that they can hide behind the concept of peacefulness as a way to justify inaction. Mm. You know, like, oh, I don't want to ruffle feathers because Jesus was a nice guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, like, he was, he was nice, a teddy, a teddy bear. And so, I, you know, I got, I'm going to be that, too. When in reality, one, he wasn't. And two, um, that's kind of not your calling. Um, and so, like, for example, I, I, I enjoy that, like, churches are speaking out, you know, uh, more aggressively than, honestly, I thought they would. Um, but... I enjoy that, but I do think, like, you know, to, to nitpick, I think the conversation shouldn't so because shouldn't be like, so how do we as Christians like forgive like that and and forget, and, and how do we like be nice about it all the time? I think the conversation should just be really stark in churches and kind of confront this evil, you know what I mean, and in all its glory, um, and, and kind of leave it at that. Um, because you, you'll, I'll, I'll watch like sermons, and what'll happen is they'll mention it, you know, and it's like, it's like, great, thank you for mentioning it, and then they'll jump to now, again with the whole writing thing. Now, should Christians be throwing rocks, mm. and should you know, <laughs> should Christians get rid of, and should Christians respect authority, and all that stuff, and I'm like, cool, but I think you know, if you want to talk about, we can talk about cops in church and talk about all this stuff. We should then make it a series, but I think the first thing you have to do is speak to the entirety of the toxicity, you know, the, the sin that is racism, like speak to that, like starkly, you know, and I think there's a certain amount of like hiding behind, uh, 
a sheepish, I guess, I guess Jesus that, that allows for like, you know, a calm meditation and, and niceness of, of the situation. Mm. That's yeah. a good point. I was just think, thinking what you guys, you were saying, John, and I was reading this book uh, from Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, and he talks about, and, and that book is called Why We Can't Wait. Um, and he talks about the white moderate, like in the north. And he, and he says, like, when he visits the south, the, the racism is almost palpable. He sees it. He feels it. He hears it. And he doesn't respect it, but he could see it. Like, and so a part of him, like, can understand it. But when he looks at, like, the, the white moderate in the north who's complicit about it, he, it's, he just doesn't understand it, why, why they are. And he was speaking mostly to, to a Christian community in that book. And so I feel like what you were saying, John, as far as hiding behind like that sheepish uh, perspective of Jesus, it almost, you, you can feel comfortable about like not doing anything. But if you read the Bible, like definitely Jesus was, was very controversial he was very punk and we talked about that using that word like punk he wasn't concerned about how he definitely was concerned about how people felt but also he didn't care about how people felt because he wanted to be on the right side of justice and so i think like when like i, I you know i've been to a few protests I, i've had these conversations with other people um i don't want to say take the christianity out but what I see from a lot of Christians is they lead with it and there's nothing bad about that. But I think you also have to like play to your crowd. So of course we wanna put Christ in everything that we do. And, and then Pastor Matt has talked about that. Like maybe if you're a teacher, maybe you lead with, with being a teacher first and then you can talk about Christianity somewhere in there. So what ruffles a lot of feathers is people like lead with Christianity and then people are, are just like oh, turned off about it or they use Christianity as like a, a tool. And I think this is right when your, your ministry starts, is this is the first time where Christians ha like are almost, especially with churches being closed, you have to go out and live everything that you've been reading and preaching and telling other people to do. So you have mm -hmm. to go out and just be, be with the people. I'm not saying you have to go and protest, you have to do and do these things, but what does your ministry look like? And it doesn't, and a lot of people are like, you know, I, I serve on this team or I do this, but no, like, what does your ministry look like? Because we live it out every day. So that's the one thing that I think, like our role as a Christian is to be ministering to people. And I think when we talk about what does ministering look like, it doesn't necessarily, you're not out on the corner saying you're going to hell if you don't stop sinning. Um, you know, it, it just looks a little different. So as a Christian, you, I mean, we wear a lot of different hats, but right now just put on your, your empathy hat, your feeling hat, your listening hat and lead with that. And I guarantee like, uh, you know, opportunities to share Christ and, and your, your view on spirits being broken. And this is why things are happening, but just lead with, uh, with your humanness first, um, which in turn is like still leading with with the you know leading with christianity leading as a christian because that's you know our spirit that god gave us i don't know if that makes sense but i like there's an example i, I went to a protest in riverside and there was a there was a pastor there 
um, who was, and, and I had visited his church before, I've been to his church before, and there was just this random guy that put on, he had his microphone and he started preaching. And then people were, and then people at first were like, all right, cool, this guy's like, we're here for one cause. And, and then he gets into his message and then people are like, this is not the time for, for your beliefs and all this. And I'm just sitting there as a Christian, you know, not really knowing what to do. I'm like, I felt like God telling me I need to say something, but this pastor was there and I knew he's a very well-respected pastor in, in our area. He literally goes to this guy that was preaching to everyone and told him this is not the time. And I'm thinking like he pastors a pretty big church and and he was just there to be a part of the protest. He wasn't, if anyone should be like preaching, it would be a pastor, right? And, I, and the guy that was yeah. preaching wasn't a pastor. So I think in that moment, that was a perfect, perfect example of what we should be doing. Um, and it's, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Like it's 100%. It's like Christians should be, I use the word leading loosely. Like we don't have to, like, as in not being in charge, but like Christians should be leaders in movements like this where like you see human, um, human suffering, but the, yeah, the idea of like you lead by giving like a sermon or some sort of platitude is, is just like, it's that, I guess like almost like shallow example of it where it's like, I'm just going to like say nice things and call it a day. It's like, no, like be, you know what I mean? Like yeah. lead by being here, get in the middle of the crowd and like, you know, join um, in, a, in a morally upright way. <laughs> caveat. Yeah. I, oh, man. That story is too on point, honestly. <laughs> it really is. Um, we're approaching the end of the podcast, and I'm going to hit you guys with one, one final question. You guys have pretty much nailed it, in my opinion. But in this, this final question, um, I know there's not only one thing we could do, but if you had to say um, if there's one thing each individual – could do consider doing that would push this forward what would it be like each individual like by the um like what could everyone do kind of universally on an individual level yeah or you could even say mm. what they could do what they what a good need would be i've kind of a long answer for this all my answers. hit me oh no <laughs> oh, long, long is fine all right that question doesn't <laughs> mean there's a constraint it just means man it's the last one so okay so for and I'll, I'll keep saying that I, I'm a I'm a teacher, a fifth grade teacher. So my my scope of focus is always going to be to the youth. And so <clears throat> this the first thing that you can do, and I heard this from one of my favorite rappers. His name's Killer Mike. Uh, he's in a group called Run the Jewels. Go check them out. But he says one thing that anybody could do. But this this first one is mainly to white people. So for white people is to mentor a kid who does not look um, or share the same values or culture as you. So like a, as as a white person, you can mentor a kid um, to, to help the cause and what that looks like and the reason, and then there's many reasons why, but I know that there's, being a teacher, there's so many kids that don't have a, a stable home life um, and especially because in the black community and the brown community, but especially the black community, like the fathers are are either not there or not present. And I don't want to make this blanket statement, but but there's a high percentage of young black boys, especially that need guidance. 
So mentoring them doesn't mean, you know, taking them on on a shopping spree and going them buy go buying them clothes or books or things like that. But I think books are are good, but sharing knowledge. And the reason why is because when we look like historically at families, there's just a, a wealth of knowledge that certain families have that other families don't. And I was speaking with with my in-laws about that as far as like I never growing up, my parents never showed me how to balance a checkbook. They never told me, you know, you need to go to college. They never told me things that it takes to be successful because you only know what you what you know. And so mentoring could be a direct uh, way to help the cause as far as like um, ensuring that race, the, the system of racism is, is broken down. So go and whether it's through uh, Boys and Girls Club, um, you can go to schools. Uh, go to your local elementary school and see what kind of programs are available. And if there isn't one, start one. Like I started a group for young African-American and Hispanic boys, and it's just a mentor group that I do with another another dad. And it literally was grassroots. It started, and we I think we had two kids the first year, and I think we're at 10 now, and it just keeps growing. And what we do is we just we share our lives and we share knowledge of how how you react to certain things talk about your feelings and there's been plenty of you know tears being shed in that group so definitely to the white community look for young people to mentor um another thing is to definitely read uh, a few books and this is for anybody um the the narrative of, of frederick Douglass that that book changed my life um there's this one book that I'm reading right now that is life-changing. It's by this author, sociologist. Her name is uh, Dr. Joy DeGruy. Her last name is D-E-G-R-U-Y. It's called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Um, and it would take like a whole nother hour to explain that book, but just, I think it's a, a required read. You should read it. I don't care who you are, read that book. Um, the book I mentioned earlier, Why We Can't Wait by Dr. King. Um, there was another book that I wanted that I wanted to say I completely forgot oh Up From Slavery it's called Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington that's a pretty life-changing one um, and then I told you John about this too uh, Jane Elliott she was a teacher I don't want to give too oh, yeah. much, uh, describe too much of it but just just type in Jane Elliott um and blue eye brown eyed experiment she does this really cool experiment for a lot of like uh, especially my my white friends um and i would say white friends and family that ask you know what can i do or what does it feel like to be black and you know in america and i think out of all the things that i've watched or seen this is going to be like the the one thing where after watching it, it it'll kind of change your whole frame of of how you look at things and it'll it'll get you as close to how black people feel in america it won't get you there but it, I, this is the one thing that i've seen that will get you like that close um yeah. and just model to your kids like it, especially if you're white wh whether you're white black or whatever have like interact with people that don't agree with you and this is aimed at christians too because i feel like and we get in our little christian bubble and your kids see you interacting only with Christians and nobody else that that disagrees, whether it's atheist, whether it's Muslim, whether it's Buddhist, 
because they're not going to know how to have a healthy interaction with anybody that disagrees with them, you know? And so, um, and that's something we should be doing. It shouldn't be something in someone advising you. Like, I think God tells us to, you know, you go out into the world and, you know, make disciples um, of the world. And so, <clears throat> yeah. And then just listen to more hip hop, whether you, agree <laughs> with the, whether you agree with the N word or not, that's another conversation. But um, you, I mean, a lot of the times people love, love certain aspects of black culture um but through through a medium of whether it be a tv or, or a nice little plexiglass like you want you want the culture without actually having to experience it so um you know my be- my two best friends are mexican um i learned a lot of spanish that i've forgotten through them a lot of food but I, those are things that i only learned because i was in their house not saying you got to go and find black people to like on a field trip, we're going to go to our black friends and family's house today, but um, <laughs> um, really like share your life with other people. Cause that's going to be the biggest thing that's going to open your eyes. And like I was saying before, like you're going to have people that challenge you that don't agree with you because if you stay in your, in your circle, um, you're going to think everything is fine and everything's dandy when, you know, you need someone to point out those things. Um, so th- those are like the main things I would recommend. So it's a good, I feel like a good starting point and go to your, go to your local school again, focus on the youth and see if there's a group that is for African-American uh, parents or families or kids and see how they, how you could help them, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Cause every, you know, everyone's going to be different. No. Heck yeah. I think those, the, those are all fantastic before i let you go john i just want to say i'm going to do my darnest to get every book that you just mentioned in the show notes if anybody right. wants to read those i'll send you a so, list bro yeah <laughs> please do. we'll get those in there send me a list too yeah um no i would say something like very similar my my main thing is just um in whichever medium you choose like look into black creators or thinkers in that medium so if you're a person that's really into philosophy look up um i mean for now black people you know there's other like asian or middle eastern whatever but like look up i guess someone different within that field that's not um uh necessarily white this is for white people and also um people of color as well like it again like i said earlier when i began to do these kinds of things like search out uh black creators for things that i like I realized that while the topic may not be like, you know, about slavery or, or the black experience, just the amount of intersectionality they throw into their work creates this like organic or natural um, frame of mind where like you can kind of see the different perspective, you know? So, but this, for example, there's a podcast called Dope Labs where these two, um, these two black women, uh, they host it. They're both like, One's an engineer, one's like a bio, like they're both like PhD or, or a higher level degree holding women. And they kind of like, they run through different aspects of life. So they, they analyze like cuffing season, which is like the a period of time in the year when people uh, link up and get together uh, romantically. And they kind of like broke that down scientifically, but just even the way they were discussing it had an amount of intersectionality to it, to where you can kind of see a different viewpoint on it. Or, or like any of the books Alan said, or, or, or for example, comic books. I read, you know, if you read Captain America, right now a black author named uh, 
never know how to pronounce his name. Tanahisi Coates mm. is is writing it. He wrote a book called Between the World and Me, but like he's writing Captain America right now. And the way he's writing it is in its own way critical of the way America is set up. And he's not like, you know, making an affront to America. But even that black author is kind of injecting his own little idea into it and his own uh, way of thinking. And so just like seeking out authors that are from a different background than you um, or creators that are from a different background than you, no matter what the topic is, will, will really go a long way in helping you reframe your thinking uh, to include other ways of thinking. Mm. Absolutely. Love it. Um, it's all, yeah, I guess we can't. We can't really ever escape ourselves in a sense mm. you know what i mean like anything that we create it's gonna have a piece of us and who we are yeah. in it so that's it's perfect mm -hmm. john allen thank you for being on the show john allen allen i don't know if i should ask you where we can find you on the internet because i already had a hard time <laughs> finding you on the internet but <laughs> facebook we... well that's the only thing i have <laughs> facebook or just the old old fashioned, like if people want to get in contact with me, yeah, just Facebook. I'm not gonna give my number out or anything. I'm old. <laughs> Share with the world. That's right. Man, there's so many things I, I feel like I didn't get a chance to say, but thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I almost feel yeah, this this might need to be a part two just because I do feel like there's there's so much left still to say and discuss. So we'll yeah. put that on the you know, we'll put on, we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll, yeah. see, we'll see what we can cook up. We'll do it in a group chat. <laughs> That's right. John, do you want people to find you on the internet? Uh, sure. If you're into things I find funny, um, I'm on Facebook. I don't use it. John finds Suffor. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Almost don't use it. John Suffor. And I'm on Twitter. Again, almost don't use it. John FN. All right. Well, thank you guys. And we'll, mm -hmm. we'll see you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 That was the episode. Thank you for listening. Next week is going to be really special. We have Dr. Thomas. He's going to be talking about the civil rights movement occurring across America. He's the executive pastor at Chino Valley Community Church. He's ran the Boston Marathon eight times and has a doctorate in leadership. It's going to be a very special conversation, a very important and necessary conversation that we all need to have, all need to listen to. That means tune in next Friday at 6 a.m. and you can listen to the podcast too. And the real reason you're still here, where do snowmen dance? The snowball, of course. All right. That's it. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you for listening to us and allowing us into your homes, cars, headphones, wherever you're listening. Have a great day.